Well, we've been, we started last week looking at this whole subject of, well, stewardship really, how it is we handle and take care of what God has provided us with. <coughs> There's two extremes that come into play, and extremes are always a good thing to avoid. So that's not in your outline, but you might want to write that down. You see the outline's a little long this week, so we're going to probably pick up speed in a hurry. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you can write that down. Extremes are a real good thing to avoid um, in this regard in particular. But the two extremes, one that we don't hear very often is the view that if you truly follow God, you'll be poor. Because if you truly followed God, what you would do then is you would give up all your material possessions for the sake of others. You would do that. Now, we have some people who might lean that way. Um, I've, I've, only, uh, I've, I've met very few people that go, have gone to the extreme, but I have met some who've gone to the extreme. In fact, we have a group in Fort Wayne who, have, have, who do that. It's a group of, um, well, there's some kind of priest or monks or something in there. Do you know the name of that church over there, Kent? The, um, over, it's over by Harvester. It's an old Catholic church. And, uh, but anyway, they, you may see them around town every once in a while. Uh, they actually wear brown, rough, um, schmocks, <laughs> and they're barefoot. Uh, they, they uh, and 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 that's how they uh, they've taken the, the, the vow of poverty seriously. They only um, one of the things they do is they they don't have stuff in the cabinets. Um, they eat whatever they get that day. If they don't get something that day. Then they, they don't eat. If they have anything left over, if they have more given to them than what they need for that day, it's gone that day. They pass it on that day. They are the only group I've ever met that actually has taken it to that extreme. Now, some, you know, some people I say lean that way. Most, though, I think the more popular view is that prosperity is your right from God. And, you know, prosperity preachers, you can think of uh, Joel Osteen. He is uh, certainly one of them. Creflo, Creflo Dollar. I thought, what a name for a prosperity preacher. Uh, he's the one that he wanted them to, uh, uh, you know, God had told him that he needed, I forget how many millions of dollars for another jet for his uh, thing. Uh, but uh, And then, you know, right in line with this are some of these word of faith preachers. Uh, Joyce Meyer would be one of them for you. Uh, T.D. Jakes, you know, and these guys, uh, these folks that think that, um, you know, you need to, you know, God wants you to prosper. And what you need to do generally is if you plant seeds of faith, you will reap reward from God, you know, that he will give you reward. And oftentimes it's tied to financial reward. Uh, one of the challenges of both of these extreme views, prosperity as well as poverty, uh, they cite some verses to try to bolster their conclusion, uh, but now they can't both be right, or can they? You see, that's where we struggle a little bit here. The Bible offers about 500 verses on prayer. There's fewer than 500 verses that deal with faith. And there's about 800 verses that deal with, that are, speak about money. Uh, some have said that there's more than 2,000 verses on money, wealth, greed, contentment, all of those things that relate and we think of when we think of stewardship and money management for God. Uh, somebody calculated that 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. 
uh, more than his teaching on heaven and hell, according to their calculations. There's, uh, I'm just going to share two verses with you that, that uh, show some of the challenge as we, as we look and we think about this. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. It's a very strong statement. And this would, this would support the, the poverty view of things. It's a very strong statement against a materialistic point of view, against having things and against having stuff. Because <clears throat> you see, if you love the world, then the love for the Father is not in you, so you shouldn't have all of this stuff. Another letter, Third John, verse 2 says, Dear friends, I pay that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically just as you are spiritually. Some of the verses, some of the translations say, as your soul prospers. When he talks about this, is that prosperity view. Now, you know, because when he's talking about here, he says that you may prosper in every way. He's not speaking about spiritual prospering because notice he brings up spiritual prospering at the end of the verse. You know, just as you are spiritually, that you may also prosper, you know, physically, you know, even in all that you have. Both of these verse, both of these verses are written by the same person. They're both written by the Apostle John. Taken by themselves, they seem to contradict each other. But here, as in most areas of life, what we need is balance. I just like that picture. Uh, what we need is balance. You see, some of us would put ourselves in a precarious spot like that. Now, you can proof text all sorts of ideas. And I would say all sorts of wacky ideas. You can proof text all sorts of extreme ideas even. You know, but it, it, they seem to support your position. The problem with that is, you see, because when we're doing that, and what, what those who are on the extreme positions of these, either poverty or prosperity, and what happens and what they're doing is, is you, when you do that, you begin to ignore the other verses in Scripture that would temper your, your position. You, you, you know, you begin to ignore those. What we need is a broad outlook that considers all of what the Bible said, not just those verses that make us feel better. In fact, the verses that make you feel uncomfortable, you probably need to pay a little bit more attention to. Because sometimes they make us feel uncomfortable because they're pointing out something that God wants us to see. And we may have to look at those. And we, what we should always do, what we should always do is adjust our outlook to match the Bible. Not try to get the Bible to match our outlook. There's a huge difference between those. You should adjust your outlook to match the Bible, not trying to get the Bible to match your outlook. We're to be molded and transformed by God. What we're going to look at today is, is that whole that whole thing, you know, that it's, it's a matter of outlook. If you're going to be biblical, it's a matter of outlook, not just in this area, but really in all areas of life. Last week we saw that it's a matter of lifestyle. Your lifestyle is directed, your lifestyle is adjusted by your outlook. You're only going to have that lifestyle that pleases God when you can adjust your outlook to do and, and, and to, to do what God says and to be the person God calls us to be. Let's pray. We're going to get into our passage. Father, thank you for your word. We've, we've all faced that challenge. We read something and, and sometimes we skim over it because, well, we think differently. Help us to think your thoughts. 
Help us to understand where our thoughts and your thoughts are different and, and not to try to see how we, how, how we can support our thoughts, Lord, but to, to modify our thoughts and our thinking to your word and your truth. We need that. If it happens to be in this area for us, Lord, speak. Speak through your word uh, that we'd embrace not just your truth, but embrace you and living for you in all we do. Help us toward that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there in the Pew Bible, <coughs> page 890 in the Pew Bible. Um, these are some of the teachings of Jesus where he challenges our outlook on possession. Some of these, some of these, uh, you know, 15% is this one person calculated of Jesus' teaching uh, where he speaks about our outlook on money. Chapter, Matthew chapter 6, drop down to verse 19. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Great, uh, great passages for you to look at. Uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, 7 in, in Matthew. But here, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters since he will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Now, we have a very hard time living out verses 19 and 20. Don't collect for yourselves all this stuff. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. We build bigger houses. We build bigger garages. We build more storage buildings, you know, so that we can, you know, so that we could store all of our treasures on earth, so that we can store all of this stuff we're collecting, even though God says here. Now, if we, you know, we, we look at it, you know, if I only had more. Now, we all have areas where we would like to have more. For me, it's tools, books, and wood. I saw some wood that I could grab one time, and uh, Jenny said, do you really need more wood? Well, yeah, that's obvious answer is yes. You know, and uh, and John and I are, you know, we're planning a trip to go up and look at this Weebles hardwood. Probably doesn't mean much to you guys, but they sell wood. You see, and I'm still shocked at how many clothes I have. It's still, you know, it's still just a, a little shocking to me how many clothes I have, even though I got rid of, you know, a couple of bags of stuff. And I'm thinking I, I need to get rid of more of this stuff. Now, if we simply took verse 19, we could distort the broader outlook that God gives us in Scripture about our possessions. If we strip, strictly took verse 19 about not collecting all this stuff, you know, and, and that, the very next verse, verse 20, tells us to what we should be collecting, collecting treasures in heaven. Now, how do we do that? I think when you look down at verse 21, he, he begins to give us some direction here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, it's a matter of outlook. It's a matter of what you are striving for. 
What are you striving for? Where your treasure is, what is it that you're striving for? If your outlook is only on this earth, as it says, only on the here and now, then you'll continue to pile up and hoard up stuff here. You'll continue to do that. But if your outlook is shaped by God in the fuller picture of his word, it doesn't say then that you won't have stuff. What I believe he's directing us here to is that you'll use the stuff that's entrusted to your care for more eternal purposes than simply what's happening here and now. You'll use all you have, you know, for for more things because you'll believe it matters how we use what we have and it matters how people view Jesus. And we want them to see and and begin to know him. When our outlook is shaped by God, when it's directed toward God, then you begin to use what you have to help others come closer to him. You You use what you have to help others come to know Jesus. We we change from an outlook of how can I have this thing to how can I use this thing. You see, it's that outlook no no longer of how can I have and possess this thing, but how can I use this to help others know Christ? Why did God allow me to have this? How can I use this? I was when I was getting ready this morning. I had to, I have the radio on when I'm getting ready. And on WBCL in the morning now, on Sunday mornings, they do this uh, prayer thing. You call in, you can call in a prayer request, and they'll pray for it. And some of the prayer requests, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure I could pray for you for you on that, you know. Well, somebody, this, I've heard a couple of different requests. One I heard this morning was uh, somebody had prayed that, you know, they, they were trying to get this house, and uh, they wanted to get this house, and, and something came up. You know, and it was going to block him from getting this house. And uh, so they prayed, and they prayed that God would allow him to get this house. And I was thinking, maybe God's blocking you from getting this house. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You see, it, 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 it's, it, it's hard for us, you know. Sometimes look, but, but you know, the, you know, there it is. How can I use what God has entrusted to me? How can I use that? Not how can I grab more, but how can I use that? And sometimes we think, well, if I had this and that, then I'd, I'd do some things for God. Uh, yeah, maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe what you want to do for God isn't what God wants you to do for God. Just a thought for you there to confuse you a little bit. Yeah, but it's a matter of outlook. See, it's, 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 call, it's serving him and, you know, Having more or serving, you know, or, or, or serving God with what he's provided for me. Look at verse 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The lamp helps you see. It helps you. you know, so what is it that you're focused on? Are you, are you focused on serving self or are you focused on serving God? What you're focused on is going to determine your outlook. It's going to determine where, where it's taking you. Now, verse 24, and that's where we're going to spend the, the, the bulk of the time, the rest of the time here today. Verse 24, no one can be a slave of two masters since he will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. The word slave here is translated serve in some of your versions. Uh, serve is, is too light of a word. What the word actually means here is slave. The Holman Christian Standard had, and a couple of the other translations have, a, have translate that well. It means slave. 
The word means to be in bondage, to serve exclusively, to submit to, to obey. That's what that word means. It's more than what we think of serving. We think of, when we think of serving, we think of it as a choice. You see, but it's, it's so much more than that. A slave is, is based on a commitment and a relationship. Certainly serving is part of being a slave, but a slave is based on commitment and relationship. It's more than simply serving. What he's talking about here is an outlook where we choose to be committed to Jesus. You know, so we determine that he will be the one that we place our confidence in to guide our living. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about being a slave. That we we choose to be committed to him and we have confidence that he is the one to best guide our living. So when we, he's talking about slaves, this is what it is. You, you can live guided by an outlook of materialism or you can live by an outlook that is guided from God. But you can't do both. Notice what he says at the end of the verse. He did not say that you should not do both as if it's just an a, a, a object of advisability. You know, that that it's not that he's advising us that you can't do both. He didn't say you, you know, you, that you must not do both as, as if it's that order of accountability there. What he's doing, he says you cannot do both. It's a statement of fact. You cannot do both of these things is what he says. What he's saying is it's impossible to be a slave. It's impossible to be fully committed to both. To think that you can, you, you are buying a lie. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. And Ecclesiastes, you know, over and over again, he talks about all these foolish things. He gets to the end and he says, you know, that serving God, living for God is the only, you know, the only sensible conclusion there. He said, and, if you love money, it's never going to be enough if that's what your, what your goal is. I mentioned last week that your, your, uh, calendar and your checkbook or bank statement, that these are, are theological documents. They're your own theological documents because your calendar and your checkbook or your bank statement, some of you don't have checkbooks. I'm old. I still have a checkbook. You know, but they reflect your priorities. You know, your calendar and your bank statement, they reflect your priorities. Now here I'm talking about the time, you know, when you're looking at your calendar, I'm talking about the the time that you choose what you're going to do with. You say, well, I have a job. Now let me ask you just a a thought. You know, do you have a job or does the job have you? You see, there's a difference there. There's a difference there. Many of us work in a job where, guess what? There's always something to do. There is always something else to do. You have a job or does it have you? How do you spend your time outside of work or even at work? Who gets priority? Is it God or is it yourself? How much time does God get? Yeah, when, when you, when you think, how many things in your day is he guiding you through? Now, your bank statement, it reflects how you spend your money. Where does God rank? 
Where does God rank in how you, in how you spend your money? Your calendar and your checkbook will tell you who or what your God is. It'll make it very clear to you. Do you recall when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest, here's the greatest commandment. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, he said, is like that. To love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all of the law and the commandments, everything that God said, all of the law and commandments that God gave you to direct your living in your life, he says, all of those things are summarized and, and summed up in these two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Where does serving God show up in your calendar? Where does serving God show up in your checkbook, in your bank statement? Where does loving God show up in these things? Where does loving your neighbor show up on your calendar? Where does loving your neighbor show up in your bank statement? How does your calendar and your bank statement say you are doing on these two things that Jesus says should dominate our outlook? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's pretty consuming. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are pretty consuming. How do these, how does your calendar and your bank statement say that you're, you're doing on these things that Jesus says should dominate our thinking? Webster defines materialism as uh, the theory that physical well-being and worldly possessions constitute the highest value and greatest good. Now, don't try to write that down. Just look it up. You see, it's, it's from Webster. It's, this isn't anything I, I made up here. You know, it, now, if that's the end result of your theology, what it says here, then you know your outlook's not really on God. If this is the end result, if the end result is thinking that worldly possessions constitute the highest value and greatest good in life, then your outlook is not really on God. You are not a slave to God then, but you are a slave to money. You say, but I have bills. Yes, but they're, I don't want to hurt your feelings, you know, but they're bills that you created by the choices you made. They are bills that you created by the choices that you made. Yes, be responsible for your bills. But I would say before that, be responsible for your choices. Be responsible in your choosing. There is a range of theological perspective. And we said that, you know, you have the two extremes there, poverty theology, prosperity theology. You know, those are the extremes. And those are, you know, you always want to avoid the extremes. So you can guess where I'm pointing you to here. You know, there's the balance. The balance, this whole picture, the reality of, of, of stewardship theology. Now, a couple of observations. Okay, maybe a few. One is each extreme, each of the extreme outlook has verses used to support them. You need to understand that and you need to not be confused by that. 
understand they have verses that they think support them, but don't be confused by it because, you see, the whole issue here is, is your next point. The extreme outlook ignore part of Scripture. The extreme outlooks ignore part of what we should be doing. You cannot take just part of God's word and run with it to the, to the detriment, to the ignorance, to the, to the closing your eyes to the rest of God's word. You have to look at all of what he says. And another thing we have to, we have to stand up and admit is that we usually pick a position based on our experience and our desires. That's where it comes. It's usually based on our experience and desires. The problem is, the problem is when we let our experience or our desires overrule what the Bible says. That's where we run into huge problems. When we begin to let our experience, when we begin to let our desires overrule the Word of God. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I had a friend, John Birkenfeld, and he had two cherry trees in his backyard. It was great fun. He lived just over on another street. We were in the same grade. John Birkenfeld and I, used, we used to fight. Uh, John, he liked to fight. I mean, physically, physically fight. And so we, uh, you know, and it was always his challenge, you know. And so I remember the first time we had a fight and uh, I just swung like a maniac and beat him up. Well, he wasn't satisfied with that. So, you know, we had to have many more fights. I don't think I won any of those. But... Uh, we were friends still. And so we would, when I was over at his house, one of the things we would do is we'd go in the backyard, we'd climb these cherry trees, and we would sit in the cherry tree eating cherries. It was a wonderful thing until about an hour later. Because, you know, as a kid, you just eat too many of them. I mean, it's good. And so what do you, what? But we would sit in there and we would look for the cherries that looked good. Look for the ones that that we thought were ripe, that we thought, oh, this would taste good. And we just picked those. We left the other ones up there. We only picked the ones, you see, that, 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 we, thought, that we thought were good. We need to make sure we don't cherry pick the Bible. That we don't just pick out the verses that we think we like. Or the verses that we think will be good to us. You know, we can't pick out verses we like and simply ignore or wink at the other parts like they don't exist. You have to have your view tempered by all of Scripture. I put a chart in your Bible there, you know, to, to help us contrast the, the, the positions. Uh, you see there, there, it talks about poverty, prosperity, stewardship. In, pro, in, um, in the poverty view, you see, a poverty, their view on poverty is, is a disdain for possessions. You know, they have this disdain for possessions. It's, you know, you, you don't want to have those. It's not, it's not something you want. Why? Because they see possessions as a curse. They're a curse. They're not something, they're, they don't see them as a blessing. They see it as something that's going to drag you away from God, you know. And, and for scripture, one of the scriptures they use, Luke 18, that you need to sell. Give, give everything you have to the poor and come follow God, you know. And if you, if you do that, you'll be fine. And their needs are met. Well, they don't worry about their needs, you see, because I just, it's, it's to sell everything and come follow him. And so, you know, as I'm seeking the kingdom of God, which is a true thing to seek the kingdom of God first. But not to the neglect of the stewardship of the things we have. Their model is a rejecter. I'm just, you know, I'm going to reject possessions. I'm going to reject all of this stuff. I don't have to have it. Because their attitude toward poverty is, is everybody being equal is God's, you know, is God's will. 
you know, Christian communism. Uh, everybody, you know, everybody, isn't that what happened in Acts chapter 2? Uh, no, but, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're preoccupied then with daily needs. That's what preoccupies them. Because they don't have them. Because they don't manage well. And the attitude is, well, you know, I'm carefree. It, it, it'll be fine. You know, it'll all be fine. And again, you know, some of these things you can have, you, you know, you can have a carefree attitude, but based on, you know, more scripture. Well, the prosperity view, you know, they see, they see, uh, you know, prosperity as a reward. It's a reward for the righteous. It's what we get. You know, he's given it to us. Why? Well, because it's our right. Possessions are our right. We have a right to have all of these things. Sounds more American than, than godly, but we get those two confused sometimes. Scriptural reference, one of the things they use is Matthew chapter 7. Ask, seek, and knock. Because you see, all you have to do, your needs are met by what? Asking, seeking, knocking. All you have to do is go, is go after it. If you want it, you plant a seed. You know, you will, you will reap a reward because as you plant that seed, then God will give it to you because their model is an owner. I get all this stuff. And their attitude toward poverty is, well, you know, we're not all equal. We're not all equal because God doesn't love some of you as much as he, as he loves the rest of us. You know? And it's, it's God's will. They're preoccupied with, well, money. Because why? Well, you have to get more. And they're driven. They're driven to get more. Again, remember, these are extreme views. This is what we're talking about so far, the extreme views. Well, then you have the stewardship view. Stewardship sees, sees prosperity as a trust. And it's a trust that's given in various amounts. It's not all the same, No. But all of it is a trust, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. You see, because what we have is a privilege. Possessions are a privilege. God's given them to us as a privilege. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, he's given, he gave some, you know, different amounts. And, and each one, you know, as he, as he called them up there, in each one, you know, and he said, well done, well done, you know. And, and except for the guy who didn't even use, he didn't manage well at all. He hoarded, he hid. Well, God had, and God said, you wicked, lazy servant. You see, it's, 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 a, it's a privilege, and it's proportionate giving. God gives to us, and we give back to God a proportion, a, a portion, proportion, a portion of what he's given to us. You know, in Malachi, that you, you, you don't hold, you know, you don't withhold. You give back to God, you know, that, that tithe, as he said, the model is a steward, that I'm a steward. It means I have, to, I have to manage what God has given and the attitude toward poverty is God's will is not known by our possessions. Our possessions don't reflect God's will. Because some people have a lot because they're ignoring God. Preoccupied with wisdom. God, give me wisdom to know how to use all you have given me. And the attitude is faithful. I want to be faithful to you, God. You see, a poverty outlook and a prosperity outlook are totally opposite. Stewardship theology looks at both and uses the best of both without bringing in the worst of both. It's a balanced outlook. There are problems with the extremes of poverty and the extremes of prosperity. Some of those in your your bulletin. With poverty outlook, there's a presumption that anybody, anybody who's doing well is ignoring God. You see, if you're doing well financially, it's because you're ignoring God. If you were paying attention to God, then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have so much. And they, because they think that if people are truly seeking God, they would give everything away. They would give it all to God. What it does is it exaggerates the role of sacrificial work. 
It exaggerates that role. It elevates sacrifice almost to a godlike level. That I am more godly because I have sacrificed more. I'm more godly because I've given more away. And they think that God loves them because they gave up everything. That his love is tied to them giving up. You can give everything away and not be spiritual. You can get rid of all your stuff and not be spiritual. God does not love you because you gave stuff away. God loves you because he's God. He loves you because he's God. God is love. And he loves you because he's God, not because of what you've given away. They can become arrogant. They can see themselves as a measuring stick. It's an extremely naive position. If everyone gave up everything, then there would be no one left to support ministry as God calls us to do that and calls us to support you know, ministry and help others to, to minister and to come alongside them. A wise steward does not give up a resource that God wanted them to use for his glory. He does not give up a resource that God wants, wants him to use to help others come find Jesus. And it, become, it can become a manipulative lifestyle. Because they share their needs and they expect others to meet them. We have people come by and I, I don't know that I'll, I, I haven't forgotten. It's been years. This guy came and he, you know, he and his wife came and they're talking to me and I'm over, pointing over this way because we were out there in the parking lot and he's talking to me and he said, you know, God called me into ministry, you know, and this is just a paraphrase and all you guys are supposed to support me. And he's broke. You know, he's broke as a joke and, you know, and he says, I just don't get it. And I thought, that's an understatement. You don't get it. You know, he says, and we got rid of everything and we sold everything. And he says, and then we end up, we're sleeping on the street and stuff. So did God give you that house? You know, and and you know the, the the whole thing that we you know it's it become can become manipulative you know and i people call me up and i had somebody call me up a week before last and somebody stopped by uh, 3 weeks ago wanted me to put him up in a hotel I said yeah well that's not going to happen i'll be happy to take you over to the mission you know, uh, make sure you're cared for, make sure you're taken care of, but that's just not going to happen. It can become a manipulative lifestyle. Now, there's problems with the prosperity outlook, too. Let's hit these real quickly. They can think prosperity is a sign of God's approval, that we have these possessions, you know, because God loves us. You know, and what it can do is it can develop an arrogance for what you have instead of a, an attitude of gratitude to God for what he's given us. And it can develop guilt in some it can develop guilt because you see, if a preacher tells you, and you listen to the, you know, you listen to the prosperity preacher on there, or some a pastor, you know, preacher tells you that you know you can serve God and you will be prosperous, and then you're not prosperous, and then you begin to think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What am I not doing? Why does why is God withholding from me? See, we can begin to look that way. Why? Because it creates wrong motives. What we do then is we begin to serve God and, and give to God for the blessings we expect rather than because he is God. 
We can fall into this give-to-get routine. Do you ever think about this? I've received letters where they, you know, and they'll tell me that, you know, if you mail us $100 as a seed gift, God will return to you $1,000. What a liar. Because if they really believed that, if they really believed what they told me in that letter, they would send me $100 so God would give them 1000 I mean, really? It, isn't that what their theology is? You know, send me the money so God will bless you. Yeah, but it's a little backwards thinking. Prosperity is not our divine right. It is not a right that we have. The day you think you deserve prosperity for God from God is the day you're in trouble. Yeah, it, it, it's just a messed up view. Those with a prosperity outlook, they seem to have a theory that you can create some type of binding agreement on God. You know, that you can put God in your debt and you give to him and now he owes you. That is not right. God is God and he is not obligated to you. He is God. The tithing, the proportion of giving of your first fruits, it's not seed planting. You're not putting an obligation on God. It's the response of a biblical steward. Some comparisons for you in your outline there. Uh, Tithing is initiated by God. God said to do it. You know, I mean, he, he said to do it. Seed planting is initiated by man. You see, there's a whole difference there on, on how it's initiated. God told us, you know, that God's called us to tithe. God call, has called us to give to him a proportion of what, of what he's given to us and manage the rest, manage all of it well. But you give to him in faith that he will continue to provide for you in, in managing all of it well. But seed planting, it's initiated by man. There's a world of difference there. Um, tithing is an expression of God-centered faith and trust. It's, I'm giving this, God, because I trust you. I'm giving this because my faith is in you. I'm giving this out of gratitude to you. You see, in seed planting, though, it's an expression of self-centered materialism. Obedience to God is always God-centered. It's not self-centered. There's a world of difference between giving so that I can get and giving because I'm centered on God. World of difference. Tithing deals with what you have seed planting deals with what you want we honor god by what with what we have we honor him with what we have not by what we want most of us are blessed financially and you're thinking well not me no most of us are blessed financially you do not have to be rich to be blessed financially you don't have to be rich some of the dangers we need to watch out for, you know, with, with, with what we have is one is taking credit for our prosperity. You know, I was smart. I was good. I got, I just got a knack for it. You know, I'm, I'm just good at what I do. Understand that you've been blessed by God. Don't forget that what you have is because you've been blessed by God. You need to watch out for a creeping ingratitude where I begin to think I deserve what I have. No, you don't. You deserve hell like the rest of us. You do. You you, need to understand. You deserve hell like the rest of us. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness, which is already more than you deserve. If you have forgiveness from God, you already have more than you deserve. It's all a gift from God. And we need to, we need to remember that and grasp a hold of it. You need to also need to watch out for guilt. You know, some people, you know, they, they realize that they have more than others and they feel guilty about it. Don't, don't, don't give out of guilt. Don't, don't, don't do that. 
You know, some, you see a guy on the street corner and, and you begin to feel guilty because you have more and his sign says he's homeless. Don't give out of guilt. Don't do that. Find the purpose of why God blessed you and use it for his glory. Utilize it as a steward for his glory. You know, some people are called by God to be prosperous and because they steward things well and they use them for his blessing. They use them for his blessing and he gives them, the scripture is pretty clear, gives them more. And be careful not to become too dependent on prosperity. This was driven home to us when I left my when I, I left my job as a millwright and a welder to go to, to, to Bible college. It wasn't a two minute process. It was a two year process for us. It was you know we've been praying and, and doing that and trying to seek God's guidance for two years, I, consulting with our pastor and the elders of our church and doing all those things. And and it looked like it was lined up where I was going to leave and I was still going to have a, a job there. And they were going to they were going to you know give us pay me enough where we could still be provided for and when it came time for me to leave and and they told me they said you know pat if you leave we're not going to be able to keep you on part-time they were going to they said we're not going to be able to keep you on part-time they said but if if you stay if you don't go to bible college and you stay you'll always have a job i find that an interesting statement because i looked back at the company i work for is out of business now but anyway um i, I just I always find that interesting that they that that was one of the things they said to me but I remember a discussion Ginny and I had, and Ginny said to me, she said, when that happened, she said, I realized how much I depended on your job. I realized how much I depended on your job. What we learned was to depend on God. A poverty outlook says that he'll give, you know, that if you give all your stuff to take care of the poor, that's good. You should take care of the poor. A a prosperity outlook says that I I need more so that I can be a channel of God's blessing. That's wonderful. You should be a channel of God's blessing. But a stewardship outlook takes the best of both. It's balanced. Stewardship asks one question of you, which every single one of you can answer right now. What am I doing right now with what I have? The question is not what I, well, not what I would do, you know, when, when Aunt B leaves me $400,000, you know, if I only had more. The, that's not the question, what I would do, you know, if I had more. The question is, what are you doing right now with what you already have? It's a matter of outlook. Your outlook directs your lifestyle. Your lifestyle reflects your priorities. Where is God in your priorities? Let's pray.